family, and welcome back to the Explore the Extraordinary podcast. My name is Betty Guadagno, and today I'm joined by Natasha Williams. And Natasha has a podcast, and we met uh, as she was interviewing me for her podcast. And I thought, what a great way to repay the energy and have her come on the podcast for Ions. And I know that she's got an amazing spiritual story inside of her, so I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to turn it right over to you, Natasha. Thanks so much for your willingness. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, so my story, I haven't had a near-death experience, and I often think maybe maybe it would be nice to have one because it would have made my journey a lot easier and quicker. But actually, it started with me when I had my daughter. She was a year and a half old. And the guy that I met, he was very abusive. And I didn't know what narcissism was those days. I didn't, no one heard of it. I just knew that he was very controlling. And I decided one day that either I was going to land up dead or I would be a doormat for the rest of my life. And I realized I had to um, have him leave. But he moved into my house. So he left the house. And my daughter woke up in the middle of the night and she said, Mommy, Satan by the door. Now, she was a year and a half old. She couldn't speak. She didn't have a full vocabulary. And I was just in so much shock because I didn't know that she knew such a word. And I said, where? And this was like one o'clock in the morning. And she pointed and she said, there's a man by the door. And of course, I didn't sleep that night because I couldn't sleep. I was scared. And I went down the next morning and I phoned her dad. And this was long before um, cell phones. This was in the 90s. And she, uh, he said, well, he's a bit um, concerned because when he was practicing his demonology, he had dedicated his firstborn to the devil. Now, I didn't know him. I knew him for three months. I met him. We were, we were kind of dating on and off. And then, of course, I felt pregnant. So I didn't know who I was dealing with until I had this child. And from that day, I've been in spiritual warfare because it's not something you can just share with anybody. But she'd seen it and I knew it was real. And I knew how he was behaving because he would be taking LSD or something and his whole face would change. You know, the one side of his face would drop and he he would go into this anger state and he would become somebody else. And it was very scary to watch. And um, obviously, he had childhood trauma as well. But from that time, we were engaged in a spiritual battle. And it's something on another level that most people don't see and they're not even aware of. So it's not even a case of, um, you know, just cutting the ties and putting up your boundaries. I was being stalked, harassed, threatened for eight or nine years, even after he'd moved out. I had people following me around the house. I had people phoning my secretary. I would have up to 150 calls a day. And this lasted for years and years and years. And eventually I went to see a lady who does um, spiritual healing. And I said to her, can you please cut the cords to my daughter and myself? Because that's the way that he's coming in. I had to shoot the hostage. And she said to me, do you really want to do that? Because if you cut the cords, then your connection with your daughter is going to change forever. She said, it's not really going to be an altogether bad thing because when you cut the cords, you will have a different kind of relationship because her soul path right now is to be with her dad to, to heal whatever needs to be healed. But she's going to walk her path with you anyway. And so that's what she did. And, and ironically, from that moment, he stopped, he stopped harassing me. I never had any calls. It literally was from that time. And yes, it did affect the impact that I had with my daughter because he was suing for custody. And it, it just carried on and on. He was making up all sorts of lies about what I was doing. And, you know, eventually the judge actually wanted to put her in foster care because he said neither parent is healthy. And I was actually the one that said, you know what, let her stay there because I'd rather he, 
she has at least a, a parent than being foster with people that she doesn't even know. And not because I wasn't a good mom. But here's the thing. From then, because obviously I'd attracted this kind of guy, I then met my my next husband who was also abusive. And I didn't, and not in the same way. It was a totally different way. And he actually was grooming my daughter. And I found out that he was doing this when she was about six years old. And where he'd been a protective force around me, suddenly he was now going against me as well. And he was also up to all sorts of shenanigans. And I found out over the years, I studied everything that I could about narcissism and how it works. And what I've discovered is that when people are fractured, then they allow some other entities to work through them. And of course, it's all about power and control and you know recognition, whatever it is that they're looking for. And half the time, they don't even know what they are. Um, that they said certain stuff, you know, a lot of people say gaslighting and they don't, they don't um, acknowledge certain things that they've done. I don't even think they remember half the time because they were in a different body or they were having some kind of entity talk through them. And you're not dealing with a person, you're dealing with a person and all the entities behind them. And so I've now made it my mission. And a lot of people don't see that. They might say they'll put up boundaries, but they don't cut the spiritual ties. They don't cut that cord. And that cord is what binds them. You know, a lot of women that I work with are trauma bonded. And they go into a space where they are so desperately looking for that person, even though they treated them badly. But they didn't cut that cord. So energetically, every time they're thinking of that person, they're feeding them the energy. And I found it so interesting because there was a time that just after I left my second husband, I um, took my kids, my son, I had a son with my second husband. I took my kids down to the coast and all the way down, I had such bad backache. I couldn't sit. I couldn't lie down. I couldn't breathe. I was in so much pain. And I went downstairs because I didn't want my kids to see me crying because I didn't know what to do with myself. And um, I phoned my friend and she said, you know, you're husband was always such an energy vampire and I just knew instantly he's sucking the energy out of me it doesn't matter that I'm six hours away from you know from home he can connect in with me and as soon as I put a bubble of, of energy and protection around me my backache was gone it was instantly gone and people don't realize how much we are losing our energy to people every time you interact, every time you engage with someone, there's this energy exchange that's happening. And they might think, well, nobody can see. But on the spiritual realm, everything can be seen. You know, and you would be aware of that. Everything is seen. Everything is noticed. But there are some people that are not at a higher level and they're just out there to get whatever they can at this level. And if you want to attain that kind of higher frequency you can't be giving out your energy to these kinds of entities all the time because they're just going to suck you dry and it's just a matter of clearing out clearing out clearing out and and having your boundaries in place so yeah in a nutshell that's my story wow that is a lot i we didn't really talk about what your story is i mean i read a little bit about it um that is yeah that is really fascinating. And I don't think I've ever interviewed somebody who has gone this deeply into the other side of the spiritual world, you know, because obviously we're here on earth, we're having a dual experience. It's about light and dark. And so I hear that you have a lot of experience with dark and thank you for your effort in your, in your spiritual warfare and the soldier that you've come here to be. And I'm curious if maybe, do you have some experience with the light? Do you have any stories to share about 
your experience um, with the dual side of this? Well, as you uh, engage more and more with these people that are so dark, you have to kind of take a stand. And I took a stand that I decided because from that day that I found out that my daughter was dedicated to the devil, I said, well, then I will dedicate my firstborn to God and let's see who wins. So it's kind of like I've taken up arms and said, well, that's what I'm going to be. And there's days that I really feel very connected, but at the same time, I don't hear voices. I don't hear, I don't get messages. It's almost like I feel like I'm on my own and it's by design. <laughs> that that other people get to have that and they're saying, no, you came here because you wanted to do this on your own. That's the kind of feedback that I get. But what I've also noticed is that because of what I've been through, I've had a lot of people that haven't had the confidence, that haven't had the experience that I've had, that I'm able to kind of be that warrior. I call myself the dragon slayer. It's almost like bring it on because I have a very strong energy and I find that I'm stronger than most and most people will back down because through all the experiences that I've had, I've actually never had any serious physical injury. I've never encountered anything bad that ever happened. And I've been in some really hairy situations. And I I know that somewhere along the line, I'm being guided so that I can tell the story so that people can stand up and, and not be afraid. Because as soon as you confront the, the fear, the, the dark goes away. It can't function in, in the light. They are more afraid of you than you are of them. And it's just about acknowledging your own fear. And I also, I have a theory, you know, and maybe you'll agree, maybe not. But I say, if everybody has a thought that these dark, uh, everybody thinks at some point, I wish this person would die or, you know, I hate this person, you know, I wish something bad would happen. But we don't act on it. We We have these thoughts, but we don't act on it. So where do those thoughts go? They can't just disappear. Energy can't disappear. So it goes underground. And because it gets suppressed, somewhere else, somebody picks up on that thought and says, you know what, I'll act it out. I'll go kill that person. And then you get a serial killer. And then they will even say, you know what, I am doing you a favor. Everybody, you know, you wanted those people dead. So I'm going to do it for you. And then everybody goes into this big space of, you know, how could they do that? And, you know, I'm good. They're bad. Meanwhile, they're acting out these subconscious thoughts that we don't act out. So if you want to stop having serial killers, integrate those thoughts in yourself. Stop having those thoughts. If society didn't have the thoughts, those people wouldn't exist. And so it's about owning your dark side. If And that's pretty much the way I see it. Because as you say, we are both. We are dark and we are light. Wow. That's a really interesting theory. And my mind is obviously going in a thousand different directions. We could talk here all day and and debate this um, or, you know, like consciously create out of it. So, yeah, one of the things that came up for me while you were saying that is, you know, like, are these our thoughts? Are they are they the thoughts of the collective? Have they always been there? Are we just kind of tapping into a negative thought because it's always existed? Is that the purpose of the Earth experiment was to see if we could find our way out of the negative thoughts? You know, I study A Course in Miracles, which is a metaphysical text, and it tells me that this whole world is a dream that was spiraled off of one tiny mad idea. So when I hear things like that, I think, well, that's the tiny mad idea, and I don't have to to dive into that, you know, I can choose to focus my energy somewhere else. I want to talk about 
the healing modalities that you've found. Like you're talking about transmuting crazy, heavy, dense experiences. And I want to find out how did you find the tools that really helped you? Who are the teachers that help you? Yeah, talk about it. Yeah, sure. Well, the main thing is that, um, I mean, I've practiced so many. I have a degree in psychology. I've studied every modality you can get hold of. I've tried Reiki, family constellations, NLP, compassion key. And I've actually put together my own modality that I actually call the soul power system now because I've taken the best of everything and I've really shortcut it because what I've discovered is that your, uh, your higher self knows all the answers. Your higher self already knows that um, what you came here to experience, it also knows what you are. Um, sorry, my brain just went blank. <laughs> Everything's moving. Your higher self knows the answers. So if I am going to ask a person from their conscious mind, what is the answer? They're not going to be able to tell me. But I allow people to tap into that higher self to get the answers. And that's what I use in my soul power system. So I actually find when I get people to go into a space where they are not accessing their conscious mind and they go into a space where they're just not thinking at all, they allow the higher self to come through and give the answers and actually just join the dots. And the only way that I can do that is by asking them questions in a way that makes them not have the original, the answer already prepared, if that makes sense. So if somebody says, um, I can't lose weight because uh, I have a thyroid issue. You know, and that's the conclusion that they've reached. They've decided they have a thyroid issue. They don't know that maybe their great-grandmother was raped and her great the great-grandmother put on weight to um, protect herself and the subconscious mind said, you know what, that's safe. I'm going to keep the weight on you so that you can keep that trauma from happening again in future in future generations. So now you're carrying the DNA. Going to a, a therapist and taking thyroid medication is not going to heal the original trauma. You're just, you're just putting a Band-Aid on it. So by actually accessing the soul, you're able to get those answers, which you can't get normally. Even if you were under hypnosis, you might not be able to access it. If if a therapist is giving you a script and telling you, you know, from now on, your thyroid's going to act fine, it may work and it may not work. But you still haven't healed the original trauma. So I really work with a more of a higher power. And what I found works for me the best is compassion. It's very much in line with Ho'oponopono, is actually giving compassion from your higher self to that wounded part. Because all you actually people are needing is acknowledgement. You know, if my parents treated me badly growing up, nothing they do is going to change it. Even if they are loving towards me now, I'm not going to feel better. But I think I mentioned in the podcast last time I actually asked you the question. If you just acknowledged, if my parents said, I'm so sorry, and, and I actually had a word with my mom the other day, and she said it to me, you know, but by that time I'd already acknowledged it within myself, so I didn't need it from her. It was nice to hear, but it wasn't necessary. And I think a lot of people are stuck because they don't have closure. They want somebody else to acknowledge what they did, and that person has to do it. And what if that person never does? What if that person passed away? What if they never intend on saying it? Then, then you're going to be stuck in anger or resentment for the rest of your life. You've got to find a way to move on. And the thing is, you're the one carrying it, not them. They probably don't even remember what they did half the time. So for me, it's about it's taking all those parts because I, I believe we have every moment we have a new version of ourselves. 
So even now that I'm a new person from who I was five minutes ago when the call started, it's like I'm just another person. So all of those parts, it's like a mirror of a mirror of a mirror of a mirror. And so all of those parts need to be integrated. And that's how you change your outcome because you can access past lives just by accessing a trigger here. You can access a past life or even a future life and change the outcome. And I know a lot of people are actually crossing timelines that way, where if I was actually able to heal myself right now and I meet the pe person who did that harm to me, they might say, oh, but I never did that. And it might be true because I'm talking to a new person who's operating from a timeline that didn't do it in that timeline. So it starts getting a bit confusing for some people. They might say, well, now she's lost it, but that's the way I see it. Oh man, I love that that um that outlook on it. Uh because you know why I like it? So okay, when I as you were saying that, I'm thinking, okay, so I confront an abuser from my past. And they say, well, that never happened. And and so like you you said, the term gaslighting kind of gets thrown around a lot because there could be a million different spiritually significant meanings and outcomes to all of that. So let's say that I approach my abuser. And he's like, that never happened. And I'm like, mm, okay, but I remember it different. But it doesn't even matter if he acknowledges it because it's about my own healing. It doesn't matter if he ever says, yeah, I did that. I'm sorry. And and whatever, because that's not what it's about. This is an internal, individual, spiritual journey. And I don't even know if anybody else actually exists. You know, this could all just be made up inside my mind. And it's really, I'm the hero of this story. I'm the hero of my own journey. And it's just about me slaying the dragons, getting the boon, coming back to the ordinary world, you know, the, the entirety of the hero's journey. I love that because for me, it, it brings the responsibility back to me. I, I am responsible for my own healing. And when I put responsibility on anybody else, I'm only setting myself up with unrealistic expectations and future resentments, which cause more of this cycle of exactly what you're talking about. That's amazing. I love that. Um, yeah. I want to know, like, your your experience is super individual. Have you been able to find people that have had similar experiences? Do you feel like you're understood in your experience? Yes, I have, but not in person. And and I think it's because I did a past life regression. I actually do life between life regressions and stuff like that as well. But I came back knowing I'm a light worker. And, and this was many years ago before the term even existed. So when they said it was just confirmation for me. And there are many light workers that came here to earth. And I think a lot of us chose lifetime after lifetime to experience being burnt at the stake, being drowned as a witch, being, you know, whatever it is, stoned to death. And I've had many experiences where I've had, where I remember those. I remember being there and I've had the physiological response to it as well. And, uh, and, they are we are starting to actually speak out now and there are many light workers online now that i have connected with that i can speak to them openly like i can to you and just say these things without anybody thinking well she's lost her marbles but i know what i'm talking about and so do they i don't have to justify it i'm not trying to prove anything if you don't like what i have to say don't watch it but i know i'm talking to the people that know they came here with a bigger purpose and i think we all are here for this great awakening or the great work, whatever it is that we're here to do, because we are here to uplift humanity. And I remember even as a very young child, knowing that I don't belong in my family. 
you know, I looked at my mom and I said to her, you're not my mother. And she said to me, well, I am your mother. I said, well, I need to see my birth certificate. But that didn't that doesn't help anyway, because I didn't recognize these people. I didn't feel like I fit in at all. I knew that people could read my mind. And I asked her, can people read thoughts? She said, no, man, what are you talking about? But I knew that some way, you know, people can do that. And I've always known that I am not my body. I would look in the mirror and know, that's interesting. Why did you choose that body, you know? Um, for whatever reason. And when people get upset with me, you know, especially like I said, we have racism in this country. If if a black person looks at me as if I'm so bad because I'm white, and I think, well, why are you looking at me? You chose a black body. I chose a white body. So what? But but no, not here. Not where I stay. Um some people kind of tolerate me, but if I were to have this open discussion like I have with you, very few people get it. I have a lot of people online that I can speak to, but for the majority, most people are pretty much, you know, what you see is what you get. You, they don't really understand, although it's happening more and more, especially with my clients, that when I talk to them about the spiritual narcissism, the spiritual warfare, they totally get it. And I'm the first one that that they have heard actually talks about it, that actually brings up the topic and says it, and they knew it already. But they didn't want to speak to anyone else about it because everyone just talks about what's going on in the physical. Wow. that's Well, you know, I think that that's amazing to be able to create space like that and to be and feel understood. And when I think about, when I think about spirituality or the spiritual experience, there are so many like there's just so many outlets and there's so many timelines and people are really passionate about different things. Like we go into different sects of this and, you know, it's not rigid. You don't have to stay in one idea. You can shift to something else. In my own spiritual journey, I have resonated with so many different things at different points in my journey. So, you know, like if I would have stayed on the path that I was in, on in the beginning, I would be a much different person than I am today. And thank goodness for that spiritual principle of open-mindedness so that I can choose to put my energy into different things. If something's no longer working for me, or if I feel like I got everything that I could out of that healing modality or that information or that teacher, I can move on to the next. And that's the really cool thing about this journey. I really love that. I, you talked a little bit about life between life regression. And I'm wondering if you feel comfortable talking about that a little bit, maybe explaining what the concept is, just in case somebody doesn't know what it is, and then some of the information that you received in some of your regressions. Yeah, sure. Well, life between lives is where you actually live. That's your home. So when you die, you go to your real home. And when you come back, you just take on this body suit and act out whatever it is that you came here to experience. So you're able to go back when you do a past life regression, you go to the end point where you died and then you see where you land up. So, I mean, I know you had the experience where you go before the council and they ask you, well, how did you live your life? You know, how did, did you get experience what you came here to do? Or do you still have to go back? Whatever that, that situation is. I've had quite a few and it was interesting because the one that I did was with my, my ex-husband who, He's been with me in a few lifetimes. And uh, I actually said to him, because I was reading a Sylvia Brown book, and she said that when you have a birthmark, it actually is from a way that you died in a past life. So I know that I was executed and I have uh, 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 bullet marks in my neck. I've got a few other birthmarks as well from other experiences. But 
um, my ex-husband, we were together in England and I hate England. England is like, to me, it reminds me of poverty. And I know I was a, uh, 18 years old. I died in poverty. It was raining. There were rats. It was just horrible. And I was dating this guy who had money and I was living in the poor side of town and he was living in the rich side of town. And when I did a regression on him, he told me that he was a squire and he was the son of a barrister or something or the other way around. I can't remember. And he was going to inherit his dad's fortune when he turned 40. And he was just used to go down to uh, Central Park and he would womanize. You know, those were the days, the Victorian days, where the women used to wear gloves and be all dressed up with their parasols. And, and he was womanizing. And he actually was busy writing a letter to a girl who lived on the East End who was in poverty. And he was telling her he couldn't see her anymore because she was below his class. And then she landed up dying and he actually went to her grave in the rain to kind of say, you know, that he's sorry for what he did, but it was too late. She died of starvation. And then his coach was robbed and he got stabbed with a with a knife with a knife in his side and they stole his pocket watch. And it was the day before his 40th birthday. It was the day before he was about to inherit his father's estate. And he never married. He never dated anybody after that. And when I said to him after the regression, do you have any birthmarks? He showed me one exactly where he was stabbed, and it's in the shape of a diamond, of a, of a dagger. And I said to him, you know, I know I was that woman. And interestingly enough, in this lifetime, he is of a lower, he's colored, he's not white. In South Africa, we also have class. So he was colored and he was like beneath the class. But whenever we, when we were married, he always used to feed me. It was just so interesting how this kind of played out in this lifetime where he was now making sure I didn't die. <laughs> you know, that was well, just one of them. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. That's amazing. Yeah, I also have done, well, not only was it part of my spiritual experience seeing the life between lives, but then I've also done some regressions as well. And um, I also have, I have a birthmark on the back, on my back. And it's like in the, it's like just a straight line. And I was stabbed in the back. I also have a birthmark inside my eye. And I guess at some point in history, people used to assassinate others by stabbing them with like a, a thin dagger in their eye. <laughs> um, so that, yeah, that's all really fascinating. And I think that it's amazing the modalities that we find to give us some peace and some solace and to explain things. You know, things can't be what they are on the surface. There must be deeper meaning. So for me, and I, and I think for you as well, being on a quest to find that deeper meaning can bring so much peace into a person's life. You're talking about experiences in your life that are really dense and super, super intense. And somehow you've managed to make your way through it and to create conscious space. So I'm wondering if you'll talk a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, sure. Well, because of the way, the way we act right now and the way that we're being censored left, right and center, people are being, you know, especially with lockdowns, we were being held separate and kept away from each other because that's, of course, another form of control. And how do you have a voice? How do you have a movement when everybody's in their own little island? So I started the podcast because for me, it's important that people are able to see that there are other people that have done the journey. They can learn from their experience and they can see that they're not alone. And it's just a way to get the word out there and the message out there that we are not alone, even if you think that you are. We're never alone. Even, even if I know that in my world right now and I'm getting no indication from spirit world, I still know that that in itself means that I'm 
with somebody because it's almost like they're sitting back. I get the feeling they are, like they're sitting back and saying, you know, we're just watching you. You wanted to do this yourself. We'll step in if we need to. And they have done that, I'm sure. But yeah, for, so for me, that's what I do. And I have people that have been through toxic relationships, like your experience, near-death experiences, anything on the spiritual realm, anything that's going to help people to find tools or or a person that they can speak to or somebody that they can get insight about what, what's going on in their life. Because if they were to just speak to somebody next door or their parents or their family, they'd be shut down. And they're in so much pain. And I've seen, because I'm on a lot of these Facebook groups, we see these people are in so much pain. And, and all they do is just share their pain. But but nobody else can give them the answer. So if I can get people that are actually able to say, look, I have been there. This is the way you can go. Try this. That will help them already take a step up than just staying in victimhood and actually realizing that that's just temporary. It's It's not... You know, if you choose to stay there for a long time, that's up to you. But you don't have to stay there. You can step out and you can do something else with your life. I love that. Yes. If Natasha and I can heal our wounds, anybody can. Okay. And I love that you're creating space for people to find how to do that. And I, you know, I just, I love the idea of creating conscious space, especially feeling called to it. I love everything that you said about being a light worker and knowing that this is your path. Um, to transmute negative energy and to spread light. And I think that it's so powerful and it's so amazing. And I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and share all these really vulnerable pieces of yourself with us. And I just want to see if there's anything else that you'd like to share to feel more complete about our time together today. Yeah, just that you, if you heal everything inside of you, you change the outer reality by by thinking somebody else must change, and it brings me back to that theory, if you're trying to stop serial killers by locking them up in jail, you're not going to stop them. You stop them by changing your own thoughts about your own belief, and that by raising your vibration, you allow somebody else to do it, and so eventually you lift the collective. And you can do it. Everybody has the ability to create miracles on their own. So you don't have to try and fix anybody. You just have to heal yourself. And that's just, it sounds simple, but it is. It's just that. Thank you so much, Natasha. And we're going to have uh, your all your links in the liner notes of this episode. So you guys can go like and subscribe Natasha's podcast and reach out. And yeah, again, thank you so much for your service to our community here at IONS. Thank you. Thanks for having me. See you next time.